Well, welcome back. Here we are. We have made it to our last week in our series, Strong. This is a series that we've been doing for, this is our sixth week, looking at the life of Joshua. And the series is called Strong, Courage Over Fear. We've been talking throughout these weeks about what it looks like to have courage in our lives, what it looks like to have courage with our faith, and how we embody these characteristics, these qualities, as we pursue the Lord. And so I don't know about you, but I've enjoyed our journey through Joshua, through looking at the lives of the Israelites, at how they seek to have courage, and where true courage is found. One of the things that I have gleaned from this series is just that important fact that true courage is not found in ourselves, but is found in the Lord. And so we're going to continue today wrapping up our series, looking at the last chapter of Joshua. But before we do that, let's pray. Gracious God, thank you for your word and the chance to open it together this morning. Lord, I pray that you would guide us through it as we examine it, that you would speak to each one of us, or that you would show us how to live in light of this text so that we would honor you. Lord, guide us, direct us, and Lord, may you speak to us now. We pray this in Jesus' matchless name. Amen. Well, who here has ever seen the movie Ben-Hur. A handful of you have seen it. It's an old movie. I remember when I was a kid finding the movie in my parents' video closet, and it was like the double VHS tapes. You had to have two of them to watch the movie because it was so long. I feel like it was almost as big as the Star Wars trilogy, but it was just one movie. And I remember watching it one time, and I didn't really think a lot about it again, but this week as I was preparing for the text and looking at some different examples that spoke into what we're going to be talking about, a scene from that movie came back up. So maybe you'll remember this, but it's a scene in the movie where Masala is asking Judah Ben-Hur to give him the names of the citizens who are opposed to Rome. And Judah's wrestling with whether he should do this, whether he should give these names and betray his countrymen. And he's telling Masala that he can't do it. He can't give these names away of these citizens and betray them for Rome. And Masala tells him, that's either them or me. And then he says, quote, you have to make a choice. You are either for me or you are against me. If you've seen the movie, you know that Judah Ben-Hur chose to be against him. He chose to walk with integrity rather than betray his fellow man And in turn, he and his family suffered a good deal of harm because of this decision. You see, in our lives, we too have a choice that we're going to have to make, of which side we will choose. And it's not a blurred line, it is a direct line in the sand of which side will we choose. And the reality is, our decision, just like Judah Ben-Hur's, will have consequences, There will be choices that we make that have consequences with how we are treated or mistreated, how we are viewed by society, and yet we still have a choice to make. It's the same choice for us that was given to Joshua all those years ago as he wrapped up his time leading the Israelites. So turn with me to Joshua chapter 24. We're going to look at what choice this is this morning as we examine Joshua chapter 24. Before we get into the chunk that we're going to be reading today, starting in verse 14, the chapter, if you remember last week in chapter 23, Joshua had gathered the leaders of Israel together to exhort them to follow the Lord, to challenge them in their dedication to the Lord. And this week, he's gathering all of Israel together. So it's no longer just the leaders who he's gathered together, but it's all of Israel gathered together for his final address as their leader. 
And so as he does, he starts off not with a call to action, but with a journey through the history of Israel, walking them through the ways in which they've seen God show up, walking them through the ways in which God has done the miraculous in front of them, parted the sea, provided food for them, conquered their enemies ahead of them. God has shown up time and time again in the life of the Israelites. And so Joshua is laying this groundwork, letting them remember God's goodness and God's faithfulness, even in the midst of adversity, even in times when they disobeyed and then returned to the Lord, that he was faithful to them. And so he's laying this groundwork for Israel before he gets into our text today of what he's going to call them to. So picking up in verse 14 of chapter 24, this is what it says. Now therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So we're going to pause there. So Joshua has reminded Israel of God's faithfulness, reminded them of the ways in which God has guided them and shown up. So now he brings in this therefore. So because of what God has done, because of how he's fought for you, because of how he's been faithful, therefore serve him. Serve the Lord your God in sincerity and in faithfulness. Joshua's calling them to this manner of service where it's not just uh, part of their lives given to the Lord, but with sincerity and with faithfulness. These ideas of sincerity is a free from deceit, free from hypocrisy. That Joshua wants them to be faithful to God alone, to have fidelity to God, to be loyal to God alone. Sam Rayner defines hypocrisy as being someone who acts differently than his or her standard or stated beliefs. And you know as well as I do that this is huge. This is one of the biggest complaints that you'll hear against the church is that the church is just full of a bunch of hypocrites. And yes, we are fallen men and women. And we do make mistakes and we will have times that we act in this manner and yet we should continually be striving towards moving away from this. Towards not being hypocritical, saying one thing and doing another, but seeking to live out our faith in a way that does not bring hypocrisy upon the church. And so Joshua is calling the Israelites to live in this manner, to put aside hypocrisy and to live faithfully with fidelity to the Lord alone. I love Ephesians 4, 22 through 24, which says, You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. It's the idea that when we come to the Lord, when we give our lives to him, that we are putting aside our old ways. That there is a line drawn between who we were before Christ and who we are after Christ. But here for the Israelites, they haven't yet experienced Jesus Christ, but they know the Lord God. They know Yahweh who has guided them, who has fought for them. 
And so Joshua is trying to establish a basis here of loyalty for the Israelites and calling them to a loyalty to God. You see, what he's doing here is he's actually laying the groundwork for a treaty document with Israel. He's wanting to establish a treaty between Israel and God, knowing what has happened in the past and knowing where God is moving forward with Israel, that Joshua wants to draw them into this agreement with God of how they will move forward. And that's part of his goal here in the text today. And so he's starting this by establishing a basis for why they should be loyal to God. And he's basing it upon the past events, showing them that they should be loyal to God because of the way in which he has been there for them, because of his faithfulness, because of his loyalty to Israel. And he's going to move forward showing Israel how this will play out as they seek to be loyal to God. You see, Joshua knows that the only way to experience the blessings of God's presence in the future is if Israel will decide to wholeheartedly serve God. In verse 15, it shows us that if Israel considers it evil to serve the Lord, then they need to choose who they will serve. Joshua doesn't give them the chance to just kind of be mediocre with who they're going to serve, but he brings it right to the front. Who will you serve? And the choice for Israel is the same choice for us. To serve the Lord your God, the one true God, or to serve the false gods around us. And he asks Israel, who will you choose? And the same question must be asked for us today. Who will we choose? Who will we serve with our lives? Because who we choose to serve with our lives will dictate everything else. It will dictate how we spend our time and our money. It will dictate the stances that we take and that we follow upon. It will dictate how we view the word of God and how we let that inform our daily lives. The question of who you will choose is foundational to our entire lives. And yet there is a choice there. There is a choice given to Israel of who will they serve, and there is a choice given to us today as well. Joshua, though, wraps this up, letting Israel know as their leader, as the one who has led them through these battles, as the one who has continually pointed them to God, who has been the leader to come after Moses, that Joshua and his house will serve the Lord. He is being crystal clear as to what his choice is as he's given Israel that choice as well. In this passage, we see this word serve in the Hebrew. It's used seven times here in this passage. It really drives home what the point of this text is, the question of who will be served Four times these words serve is used to refer to the present generation of Israel. Twice it's a command from Joshua to Israel to serve and to challenge Israel to choose who they will serve. And then concludes with Joshua's commitment of himself saying who he and his household will serve. Service and the question of who will be served is an important one. It's an important one for Israel. It's an important one for us today to wrestle with. It's easy to think, yeah, we'll serve the Lord, but to actually look through our lives and to ask ourselves, does my commitment to serve the Lord reflect how I live my life? Are my actions in line with my words when I say that my life is the Lord's and that I will serve him? You see, Israel was quick to say, yeah, of course we'll serve the Lord. Look at what they say, picking up in verse 16 of chapter 24. Then the people answered, far be it for us. 
that we should forsake the Lord and serve other gods. For it is the Lord our God who brought us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery, and who did these great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way that we went and among all the people through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out before us all the people, the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore, we also will serve the Lord, for He is our God. Israel has the right words. Joshua asks them who they will serve, and very quickly they're like, yeah, we will serve God. He has been faithful to us. We're not going to put away God for the false gods, but we're going to forsake the false gods for God alone. And they understand how God has moved in their lives because they articulate the ways in which they have seen him move for them and fight for them. The result of this faithfulness is Israel's declaration of their service to the Lord, stating that God is their God. And this is the right posture that Israel shows here. The question, though, is will they live it out? It's one thing to speak it with our words. It's one thing for Israel to say, yes, God is our God and we will not serve false gods, but only him alone. But what about when difficulties arise? What about when nations seek to corrupt them? Will they stay near to the Lord at that time? Will they remain faithful to God alone and continue to serve him? Will these words have any meaning as they move forward in their lives, or will these words just be empty as they fall away from the Lord? Well, Joshua knows the temptations. He knows the history that Israel has been through and the times in which Israel has forsaken the Lord and turned to false idols. And so in verse 19, he rebukes them. He says, But Joshua said to the people, You are not able to serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God, and he will not forgive your transgressions or your sins if you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods. Then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done you good. You see, Joshua calls into question their statement. They're quick to say, yeah, we'll serve God. And yet Joshua calls into question, will they really serve God? Are they really able to do this? And you wonder, why would he do that? Why wouldn't he be on board with their declaration of who God is? But yet, Joshua knows that Israel at times have been fickle in their faithfulness to the Lord. And he knows what is at stake. So he's not willing to just let these words ring true for them without the weight of action behind them as well. He says, you are not able, which is an unexpected statement here from Joshua. After encouraging the Israelites to make a commitment to the Lord, he now tells them that they're going to be unable to keep it when they try to make that commitment. There's irony in his statement here, and yet his purpose was not to discourage them, but to lead them to count the cost and to mean what they say. He wants them to understand the weight of what they're saying when they say that they are going to follow God. Similarly for us today, if we declare that we are Christians that we are followers of Jesus, there is a weight to that statement that we must consider if we're going to use that language. Look at how Joshua describes God. He says he is a holy God. He's jealous. He will not forgive transgressions or sins. This isn't someone who Israel wants to upset or turn their backs upon, and yet they've done that many times already. Joshua wants them to pursue God 
to give their all in this pursuit of seeking to be holy like God is holy, of recognizing God's jealousy when they turn from him and worship false gods, the jealousy that comes not out of a place of evil, but out of a place of God's deep love for his people and knowing what's best for them and knowing that what's best for Israel, what's best for us too, is to follow God alone to not allow ourselves to be persuaded by false gods, but to focus upon God alone. The Israelites here need to hear Joshua's warning. They need to take seriously the implications of their actions and how they treat God, because there are consequences. We also have to do the same. We have to take seriously what we say. We have to take seriously our actions of how we live out our faith recognizing that there are implications for how we live. That saying that we are followers of the Lord is one thing, but living it out is another thing. And we must seek to move forward with both of those together. Not just proclaiming Christ as our Lord with our words, but with our very lives. Joshua lets Israel know that if they don't take seriously what he's talking about, if they forsake the Lord and if they turn and they serve foreign gods, that the Lord will turn his back on Israel, that they will have harm come upon them. Now think with me for a moment about where we are today. Our nation is at a time in which it's one of the least Christianized times that we've had. More and more people are abandoning Christianity, abandoning God as their Lord. The Christian worldview is becoming a slimmer and slimmer part of our population And people are giving up on relationships with Jesus Christ. And yet at the same time, our nation seems to have an increase in violence, in blatant crimes, and a lack of consideration for those who are in positions of authority, complete disrespect for one another. It seems like we're going downhill at the same time that our Christian values are leaving as well. As people are turning their backs on God, as they're turning their backs on the way in which we're called to live in Scripture, it's no surprise that our society seems to be crumbling as well. Things aren't getting better. We're not seeing that our world is growing in their, in their morals, in the way they treat one another. We're seeing the opposite as people put aside the faith. And we now live in a time in which our country is post-Christian in their culture. We're no longer a Christian nation. Just look around. And yet our job is not just to sit back and to bemoan this or sit back and say, well, it used to be this way, but is to move forward living in light of the gospel, living out our faith, declaring our allegiance to God and standing firm upon who he is and leading in this day and age. That is what will lead people to turn back to the Lord. And so we start with our own lives. We evaluate our own lives and where we need to turn back to the Lord where we need to serve him wholeheartedly. And then after that, we move out to those who we know who would call themselves Christians and yet who aren't living it. And we challenge them to live their faith out, to not let it just be empty words, but to actually have meaning and weight behind it when they say that they are Christians. For their lives should look like Jesus, not like the culture. So start with ourselves and then move out to those who we know who are professing to be Christians, and then let it ripple out further and further as people seek to live out their faith in a wholehearted manner to serve the Lord God. 
So Joshua knows the importance of what's at stake here as he calls Israel to actually understand the weight and the meaning of what they're saying here, knowing that if they don't serve God, harm will come upon them. And Israel reaffirms this affirmation in verse 21. It says, the people said to Joshua, no, but we will serve the Lord. They reaffirm this decision to serve the Lord. What does it mean to truly serve the Lord? Well, this idea of serving the Lord, it's to labor for the Lord, to become enslaved to the Lord as our master. Think of Paul in Romans 1 when he starts off Romans and he says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. Paul sought to live his life in a manner that honored the Lord, that did whatever God called him to do, even if it brought about prison, even if it brought about being beaten, even if it brought about death. His life was not his anymore. It was given to one whom he submitted it to, to Christ Jesus. So for Israel to say we serve the Lord, for us to say we serve the Lord, we must be willing to place ourselves in a place of submission where the Lord is our master. This means that his will is put above my will. His desires come before my desires. His way in front of my way. And we do this joyfully, serving the Lord because he is our Lord. Well, now that the people have affirmed again that they do want to serve God, Joshua has a charge for them in verse 22. He says, Then Joshua said to the people, You are witnesses against yourselves, that you have chosen the Lord to serve him. And they said, We are witnesses. So as the people have committed to serve the Lord, Joshua moves them forward in the process of establishing this treaty. And that's what he's doing here, is he's working on establishing this treaty with the people of Israel, reminding them that in this moment when they're declaring this, that they are serving as a witness to the fact that they are entering into this treaty of service with the Lord as their God. Moving forward in verse 23, Joshua said, Then put away the foreign gods that are among you, and incline your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, The Lord our God we will serve, and his voice we will obey. The charge for Israel continues with Joshua letting them know if they're going to enter into this treaty with the Lord, they need to put away the idols, which right away should cause us to pause. The fact that even as Israel has been led by God, as they've been conquering these nations in the promised land, as God's been fighting for them, they still have idols around their camps. They still have these false gods in their midst. So Joshua lets them know, if you're going to enter this treaty with God, you need to get rid of those. Put those aside. You can't have both. So they must begin by putting aside the idols because God deserves their full allegiance. You see, we are not able to be divided in our allegiance to God. We are to incline our hearts to God alone. If we are corrupted by other false gods, by other things that take a place of priority in our lives, then we will not be fully aligned to the Lord. The people agree with Joshua. They say that they'll do this and that they'll turn to God. They'll serve him, and it's his voice that they will obey. Brings a question to my mind of do we live with this attitude in our own life? Do we seek to serve God and to obey his voice? 
or have foreign gods come before the Lord? Have those taken a higher priority in our lives? You see, we aren't dealing with false idols often in the way of little gold statues that people may worship, although that still does happen. But a lot of our false idols in this culture are things that people don't want to actually name as gods, lowercase g. They're things like the pursuit of sports or education being the priority, our comfort, our possessions, our wealth. The biggest one that I see today is the God of self. It's that you are the most important. You do you. That's what matters. What brings you happiness and joy? That's what matters. What you want to be with your life, what you want to do, what you want to say, that's the most important thing. And yet that is the biggest bunch of lies that you will ever be sold. It doesn't lead to life, it leads to death. And it is something that we must flee from as Christians. The God of self is a false God that is all around us in this day and age. And if we want to serve the one true God, we must die to ourselves. We must put aside our own desires and we must not worship the God of self, but worship God alone and what he desires above what I desire. What he calls me to above what I want. How he calls me to use my money above what I want. What he calls me to say above what I may be comfortable with. That's what it looks like when we die to ourselves. That's what it looks like when we seek to live for the Lord alone. Joshua believes that Israel is ready, at least at this point, to enter into this treaty. And so in verse 25, it tells us Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and put in place statutes and rules for them at Shechem. And Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God. And he took a large stone and set it up there under the terebinth that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said to all the people, Behold, This stone shall be a witness against us, for it has heard all the words of the Lord that he spoke to us. Therefore, it shall be a witness against you, lest you deal falsely with your God. So Joshua sent the people away, every man to his inheritance. Israel has committed themselves to the Lord. So Joshua moves them forward with making this covenant with God shows them that through establishing these rules, writing them down in the book of the law and setting this stone as a reminder that Israel is entering into this treaty with the Lord, well, they are saying they will serve him as their Lord. The stone is to serve as a reminder for their commitment to God, for the words that God has spoken to them and what they have agreed upon in saying they will follow him. Now, the sad thing is, if you know Scripture, The very next book is Judges. And what we see in Judges is Israel turn their back on God, worship false gods, and neglect the one and true God. And we see God be faithful to his word. That he gives them over to their own evil ways. That they find themselves under attack. They find themselves under great hardship because they've turned away from God. Here in this moment, they're fast to declare, yes, God is our God. We will serve him. We'll put away false gods. And yet, in the very next book, they're corrupted by the false gods all around them. They're trying to mix the God of Israel with these false gods, and it doesn't work. It never works to mix our allegiance 
when we're talking about God and where our allegiance lies. They forget too quickly who they serve and the ways in which he moved in their lives and in their midst. And they go to things that don't satisfy, that don't protect, and that don't give life. So for us, as we read back on, this, on these historical events, we must take note of what happens. We must not be too quick to speak, but must think about what it is that we're saying and the implications of what it is that we're saying. I want all of us to follow God with all of our heart, but I want you to think about what it is that you're saying you're doing so that's not just empty words and promises, but it becomes your very life given to follow the Lord. There's three ways that I think we put this into practice as we look back on the life of Joshua and the Israelites and as we consider these words today in this treaty. And the first is that we must be willing to take a stand. Joshua is willing to take a stand in front of all of Israel, willing to draw a line in the sand and say that I will serve God. I will put aside false gods and I will serve God alone, me and my house. And it has come time that we be willing to take a stand, that we be willing to declare where we fall in our allegiance and that that becomes all-encompassing for our lives. This last week, on October 6th, it was the 486th anniversary of William Tyndale's death. And maybe you're familiar with Tyndale, maybe not, but William Tyndale was executed, burned at the stake for translating the Bible into English for the people of England. You see, at that time, people weren't allowed to have their own copies of Scripture, and he wanted to make sure it was translated into English so people could read the word for themselves. Only 486 years ago. And yet, the king of England did not want this to occur they didn't want in the church for people to be able to read the Bible for themselves. They wanted to tell them what it said and read it for them. And so as Tyndale put his life on the line to translate the Bible into English, he was burned at the stake for this. And as the flames engulfed him, he cried out, Lord, open the king of England's eyes. Even with his last dying breath, he's hoping that the Lord will move in the lives of the king of England so that he will see truth. And just a few short years later, the king of England commissioned the King James Bible so that it could get into the hands of the people even more. But Tyndale was willing to take a stand for truth, for the gospel to be able to get it out into the hands of the people. What are you willing to sacrifice to stand for the truth of the gospel? What are you willing to sacrifice for the Lord your God for Jesus, your Savior, who died upon the cross for you? Are you willing to lose your job? Are you willing to lose friends? Are you willing to be considered an outcast? Are you willing to be arrested? These may seem harsh, but we are living in a day and age where these are becoming the reality. So we must examine our commitments and examine if we are willing to follow the Lord to these ends. And it may never come to that, but you need to figure out where you stand. Are you sold out for the Lord? Is your life truly His, where you will do anything for Him? The second way that we put this into practice after valuing that is by serving the Lord. 
I was listening this past week to a podcast that had Tim Tebow on it, and Tim Tebow uh, is many things, but he was a professional athlete, played professional football, played a little bit of professional baseball, he's been on ESPN. Uh, He's also a very godly man who is seeking to live in a way that honors the Lord with all that he has. And he was sharing on this podcast that he has an agreement with a friend of his that when anything bad happens, when there's something that blows up in the media where they're giving him negative attention, where he gets cut from a team and everybody's ridiculing him, that that friend will come to him and they'll join together and the first thing they'll do is they'll go and serve together. Because what that does is it reminds him that he is not the most important that his focus needs not be on him or on his situation, but that there is such a larger picture of what's happening, that there are people in constant need who need to hear the gospel, who need to be served and loved on. And so it will reorient him to what matters to the Lord. And I thought that was pretty impressive in a time when he's ridiculed to turn it into a time to go and serve, to allow himself to be reoriented to what matters to the Lord. You see, that's what serving does. When we serve, we're placing others above ourselves. We're sacrificing our time, our possessions perhaps, our resources to serve others. We're elevating others above ourselves. I love the attitude that D.L. Moody had regarding the Lord in the verse Isaiah 6-8. Isaiah 6-8 says, And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And then I said, Here I am, send me. Next to this verse in Moody's Bible, he wrote, quote, I am only one, but I am one. I cannot do everything, but I can do something. What I can do, I ought to do, and what I ought to do, by the grace of God, I will do. That attitude that he had of, I may just be one, but I am still one who can be used by the Lord. That if I die to myself and serve the Lord, what great things he can do. Living a life of service to the Lord is what Joshua calls Israel to. It's what we're called to as well, and it's what was modeled for us by Christ. Just think about the Last Supper when he brings out the towel and the basin of water and he washes the disciples' feet. He is showing the importance of service. That the King of Kings, that the Messiah, God incarnate, would stoop down and washed the dirty feet of his disciples. What better picture of service? I can think of none. Christ's model for us, what Joshua tells Israel here, it all calls us to the same thing, that we must seek to be men and women who serve with our lives. You may wonder, how do we do these things? How do we take a stand? How do we serve in this manner? leads me to my last point which is that we do it by surrendering. All that we've talked about in this series, how to be strong and how to have courage over fear, really will only come about if you are willing to surrender. F.B. Myers, famous preacher in England in the early 1900s, used this vivid illustration to describe his own moment of surrender to Christ. And this is what he said. He said, I remember it so well when he came to my heart and challenged me as to the keys of my fortress. But before I gave them to him, I put one small key in my pocket. Have not you done that? And handed to him the bunch minus that key. He gave it back and said he could not be king at all if he could not be king of everything. I put my hand in my pocket where I had hidden it and said, I cannot give it 
but you may take it. And he then took that tiny key. He looked at me with those eyes which are as a flame of fire and said, are all the keys there? I said, all but this, and I cannot give it, but I am willing for thee to take it. And he took it, and then they were all his. Myers says, Jesus must have all the keys of our heart, nothing held back. He must be at the center of our purpose and desire in life. What keys are you holding back? What tiny key have you chosen to put in your pocket that's getting in the way from you fully surrendering to the Lord? I think we all have them at different times. We all have those moments where we realize that we've held something back from fully surrendering it to the Lord. And yet it must be something that we wrestle with. Don't just shrug off that question of what key have you put in your pocket, but wrestle with it this week. Take it to the Lord. Ask him, what in my life have I not fully surrendered to you? And then listen. He will answer you. He will bring something to mind in your life that you've been holding on to perhaps. And if that happens, then confess it to him and give it to him, surrendering it to the Lord. You see, living a life fully surrendered to the Lord is the only answer. Drawing that line, the only way to live is with the Lord, pursuing after him, living in light of his word, living in his will rather than ours. That is the only way in which you and I will embody the courage that we can have in the Lord. It is how we live strong and have courage over fear in this day and age. This series has walked us through a journey of Israel having an immense strength, but not from their own abilities, but because of their trust in the Lord. For us today, we too must learn that our strength our ability to be courageous rests not in our own abilities, but in the Lord. So may we surrender it all, lay it all down before the Lord our Savior, and allow the Holy Spirit to move through us as he sees fit. May we be committed to serve the Lord with all our mind, body, and soul. And in doing so, may we glorify God in all that we do. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you so much for the life of Joshua. Lord, we thank you for the ways in which you used him to lead Israel, for his steadfastness and for his faithfulness to you. Lord, we want those same attributes in our lives. We want to walk with you, to be faithful to you, to not allow ourselves to be pulled away by the distractions of the world, by the false idols and promises of the world but to remain true to you. So Lord, fix our eyes upon you. Help us to surrender what needs to be surrendered and to give it all to you. Lord, may you speak to us right now here in this room, this week as we turn to you in times of prayer. Lord, show us what we need to surrender to you. Show us what ideas or preferences aren't in line with your will and your word. Help us to lay them down, Lord. For the promises you give us, the life that we can have in you is far greater than anything else that's offered. So Lord, may we know your truth of who you are and may our lives become fully about it. We thank you that you alone can do this work in us. So here we are, Lord your servants. 
May your will be done in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.